Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Today marks 50 years of hip-hop. This anniversary traces back to August 11th, 1973, when a teenage DJ Kool Herc mixed records at a back-to-school party in the Bronx. But before that, long before hip-hop even had a name, the Bay Area was laying the foundations of hip-hop culture, even if the region doesn't get the credit. When I started digging into this, I, I noticed that there were all these things, all these really kind of foundational elements of hip-hop that were not only identified with the Bay Area, but originated with the Bay Area. So today, we're talking about KQED's That's My Word series, a year-long exploration of the Bay Area's contributions to hip-hop culture. We'll talk about how the Bay has shaped some of the most important elements of the genre, and how the Bay Area was hip-hop before there even was hip-hop. Stay with us. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. Hip hop is so diverse. We're really talking about it in a geographic sense. This is Nastia Voinovskaya, associate editor of KQED Arts and Culture. She co edited KQED's That's My Word series, exploring the Bay's contributions to hip hop with veteran hip hop journalist Eric Arnold. We're talking about five decades of evolution in this region that has so many distinct cities with their own scenes. You know, we have Oakland, Vallejo, Richmond. San Francisco, San Jose, East Palo Alto, Pittsburgh, Fairfield, all different corners of the Bay. And the artists from those scenes cross-pollinate and collaborate and influence one another. 
even when you go back to the 80s when the Bay Area scene really started taking off, in Oakland alone, you have Too Short making mob music and rapping about the underworld of the streets. Brothers like me had to work for mom. Eight years on the mic and I'm not joking. Sir Too Short coming straight from Oakland. You have Digital Underground making fun, funky, silly, and expressive music that tells people it's okay to be different and weird. My name is Humpty, pronounced with the Humpty. Yo, ladies, oh, how I like to funk thee. And all the rappers in the top ten, please allow me to bump thee. And you have MC Hammer making pop rap and dancing and entertaining. And in San Francisco, there was Paris, who was known as the Black Panther of hip hop. So all of these elements, the street, their evolutionary, experimental and commercial aspects are mixing together and influencing each other. And they continue to do so. So there, there's not one sound or one style of Bay Area hip hop, and it's all of these things. Eric Arnold, you've covered hip-hop in the Bay Area for many years. Have you felt that Bay Area hip-hop has been overlooked? Almost every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it has. It's almost a defining characteristic of the Bay, you know, and it it's sort of the underground, underdog mentality, the chip on the shoulder type thing, the we're different, we're, you know, we're not L.A., we're not New York, but we've made hella contributions to hip hop's culture and its aesthetic over the decades. You know, of course, we've created all these phrases like Fashizi that have gone on to become part of rap's lexicon. You wrote a piece for That's My Word titled The Bay Area Was Hip Hop Before There Was Hip Hop. So I want to stick with you for a little bit. First of all, why go back to before hip-hop was even a word. Hip-hop was created or invented in 1973, but it wasn't even named until 1981. So that means that, that it was a culture in flux and in development that entire time. It was still evolving. It was still emerging. So when I started digging into this, I, I noticed that there were all these things, all these really kind of foundational elements of hip-hop that were not only identified with the Bay Area, but originated with the Bay Area prior to 1973 or, you know, concurrent uh, with, you know, 1973 to 1981, uh, whatever time period you, you know, you want to put on that. In one of Eric's pieces for That's My Word, he lays out three key ways that the Bay Area shaped hip hop that you can still see and hear today. The first is Boogaloo a street dance movement pioneered by Black youth in East Oakland. The second is Bay Area funk. And third, the political movements that influenced a social consciousness in Bay funk that we would later find in hip-hop. Well, let me dig into Boogaloo with you. Uh, You describe it as sort of the ancestor of pop-locking years before hip-hop had a name, and that it's really this, like, whole culture with its own rituals and aesthetic to it also, right? It is. Back in like 1964, it was youth-driven, it came from the inner city, 
It was this inventive dance that kind of started with James Brown, but then people in East Oakland um, just started adding moves and developing this dance vocabulary and having competitive battles. As you do that, you actually create a cultural aesthetic. So it becomes like this whole movement that spreads from East Oakland to West Oakland to North Oakland to Berkeley to Emeryville to Richmond to San Francisco. When it gets to San Francisco, it's called strutting. When it gets to Richmond, it's called robotting. So it was very, very foundational and it occupied a place in sort of like the cultural milieu of the times that hip hop occupies now. And then it eventually reaches L.A., right? How does it sort of transform into some of the dances that we now uh, associate with hip hop? With Boogaloo, there were uh, certain techniques or moves that became foundational to that. Hit it. Ticking, where you kind of move your hand like a clock, like the, like the second hand of a clock. Creeping, which is like kind of like a side-to-side motion where you're kind of, you're going forward, but moving kind of side-to-side, kind of sideways. And the Oakland hit which is like you, you're dancing and then all of a sudden you stop on the beat. When that got integrated into what LA was doing, which was locking, the Oakland hit became the pop. And so that added the pop to the lock and then you get pop locking. And then when breakdancing becomes integrated with pop locking in LA in the early 80s, the Oakland hit or the pop, becomes part of that aesthetic. I know, aside from Boogaloo, uh, another foundational element that you talk about in your piece is Bay Area funk. How is Bay Area funk in particular important to hip-hop's early sound and also aesthetic and ideology? So you had funk invented by James Brown, um, and James Brown was an established artist. Right. So he already had a sound. Uh, but when Sly Stone came up, he has like this entirely different approach. He was like this musical prodigy raised in the church in Vallejo. He had produced like psychedelic records. And he starts to emphasize the interplay between the bass and the drum a little bit more and also create space in the music. His bass player, Larry Graham, created the, the slap bass sound of which then becomes the ubiquitous sound of funk. Every funk group picks up that sound. Uh, but Sly Stone also crosses over to this mainstream, multi-ethnic audience. And he's able to do that while retaining a Black identity. So then every single Black artist starts trying to get that Sly Stone sound and do the same thing. And if you look at hip-hop, hip-hop has sort of embodied all of those characteristics. And another, I think, characteristic of 
bay funk and in particular sly stone's sort of version of funk is this sort of social consciousness that he brings to the music right and i know you also sort of point to this social consciousness as really central to bay area hip-hop as we of course know this region has this really long legacy of progressive politics and multicultural social justice movements so how do these social movements in the bay area in particular also become foundational to hip-hop everywhere so bay area funk it you know you mentioned that it was very progressive i mean it it also centered women uh, such as sugar pie Santo, the pointer sisters and the brides of funkenstein and there was a time when all of a sudden like funk said well we need to be relevant to these times and people are talking about liberation movements and that all started with the bay area and then that sort of because that's a foundational element it sort of gets transposed into hip-hop So the Black Panthers were happening at the same time that the funk movement was happening and the Boogaloo movement was happening, but they went national very early on. In like the late 60s, they had more than 30 national chapters at one point. And the Black Panthers actually had a funk band called the Lumpin uh, that addressed political topics back in the day. They also had a newsletter that had a circulation of between 350 to 400,000. Um, so when you think about Chuck D's quote that rap is the CNN of Black America, well, the Panther newsletter was the CNN of Black America before there was CNN or even before there was rap. In 1968, the Black Panthers opened up a field office in Bronx River. Now, Bronx River is the birthplace of hip-hop. And at that field office, they did outreach to the exact same youth who became the first generation of New York hip-hop. Um, so literally, the Black Panther ideology is embedded in hip-hop's DNA. The afros, the leather jackets, the um, sort of militant radical self-expressions that they had, that's all part of the aesthetic. Then you think about people like Tupac, whose parents were Panthers. He was a Panther cub. Uh, and Tupac sort of embodies this idea of the next generation and their expression you know, not being funk, but being hip-hop. Nastia, I want to bring you in here and kind of come back to the present day as well. What are some of the ways that you see some of this history that Eric is talking about in hip-hop today? Yeah, I mean, Eric mentioned the 90s generation being Panther Cubs. Now you have in, in the millennial and Gen Z generations, Panther Grand Cubs. 
like one of the more popular Bay Area rappers out, you know, Rex Lafrage. His his dad kind of grew up around the Black Panthers and he infuses his music with that political consciousness even though he's not a purely political artist. He and other rappers that are gaining prominence right now, like La Russell and Zimba, also talk about community healing and their own personal healing, which is, I feel like that's a way that our generation's kind of evolving that conversation with more consciousness around um, mental health um, and things like that. And then, you know, the, the other elements of Bay Area hip-hop we've been talking about in this conversation um, are, are still present and evolving in different ways. Talking to my mom about real estate in ATL. Passive income when I'm sleep is coming still. Larry June, who has a hit record out right now, is kind of carrying over that funky sound, but in a more modernized way. And he, he kind of has that old school player element that's been foundational to Bay Area hip hop since the two short days. Can't stop, won't stop, get guap. You also have artists like Pilo and Sweetie drawing from the hyphy movement and making that sort of up-tempo party music, but in a current way. And, you know, their music is gaining mainstream traction. I feel like something that I've also noticed about Bay Area music is this almost sort of DIY, entrepreneurial, independent spirit that I think Eric was describing earlier as very sort of underdog. Uh, how is that sort of a characteristic of Bay Area hip hop? And, and does that also to you have roots in some of the history that we were talking about? I mean, when you go back to, you know, artists selling tapes on consignment and uh, selling out the trunk and outselling national artists, uh, so the Bay Area was doing equal or better independently, without radio play, without distribution. Um, so I think that kind of typifies the independent mentality, having this mentality where you don't feel like you have to conform to commercialism. But I also think that that connects to uh, Afrofuturism. And Afrofuturism is part of the Black arts movement, which is also rooted in the Bay and rooted in Sun Ra and his type of expression. And then we see that in... You know, Bay Area rappers like Dell and Black Alicious and the Mystic Journeyman and how they've just come completely from left field. And it's like, OK, well, we've got this pimp player stuff on one hand, but then we've got this super abstract backpack stuff on one hand and it's all hip hop. We talked about artists like Too Short and E-40 selling tapes out the trunk, you know, that continued with CDs when those became available. And then um, Bay Area artists also really ran with early social media. Um, like the pack and Lil B really exploded on MySpace. So so did the hyphy movement, actually. And then, um, you know, artists like really embraced YouTube in its early days. And um, people say that Mac Dre's Trill TV predated vlogging because he made these crazy DIY party documentaries about just all of his 
after hours escapades and kind of showing off like the sideshow culture and party culture of the Bay. So Bay Area artists have always found a way, even if we don't have the infrastructure of the mainstream music industry behind us. Um, and I think, yeah, that that underdog mentality still really defines the Bay. If they ain't got a price to pay, California on my license plate. Last year, they ain't even like the Bay. Damn. Hilo on his song Put Me On Some says last year they ain't even like the Bay, you know, so, and that that's something that, that people sing along to any time it plays in the club and just wear it um, as a badge of pride. Well, I want to look ahead here with the two of you. Nasia, we're sp- celebrating 50 years of hip hop. But how are you thinking about where hip-hop is heading, particularly here in the Bay Area? Well, one really exciting thing we've been able to do with this project is um, include a lot of women's voices and also kind of critically examine Bay Area hip-hop with love um, and as fans and practitioners of the culture. The Bay Area hip-hop scene is revolutionary and progressive in all these ways, but we've really seen misogyny get a huge pass. Because of that underdog mentality in the Bay Area, people have been hesitant to, you know, also criticize some aspects of the culture. But the scene is also evolving to include a lot more women's voices. So now you have artists like King Key, Lil Kayla, Stoney, Alien, Mac Kitty. Boom, guess who fresh out the tomb? Marie Laveau with some platform shoes. Or a hella pretty, I ain't gotta show my titties. Frequency made out of magic and it make these niggas shoot. I'm really excited to see how those conversations continue to develop, um, especially around women and queer and trans folks. These are all artists who are just super bold, expressive, and captivating on stage. And I'm so excited to see how they're gonna evolve. Eric, I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. How are you thinking, I guess, about where hip hop is heading? Well, I see it as a progression and I see it as a continuum and I see it as evolution. All of those things have continued to happen with hip hop in terms of it being a space where uh, multiculturalism can flourish and come together. And we saw that with Sly Stone uh, in, you know, everyday people. Uh, but we also saw it with Too Short and Life is Too Short and, you know, all the great Bay Area anthems, right? Uh, all of these things that brought people together and were really continuations of these social movements, these cultural movements, these political movements, these uh, pushes for economic equity that began decades ago. And so history really is cyclical. When you look at the 16th Street train station in Oakland is such a historic location. And knowing that it has all this history with with the Pullman Porters, and then it was the place where they choreographed the turf dancers and tell me when to go, really makes it seem like, you know, all that history is connected. Just one, just one housekeeping thing. So we did mention Mac Dre, RIP, but we also have to say RIP to Dream Gift of Gab, Zumbi, Shock G, 
all of our OGs that we've lost along Oscar Grant, all of our OGs that we've lost along the way who are still with us and we carry their memory uh, to this day. Yeah, the Jacka too. The Jacka, mm-hmm. Tracks a million. Tracks a million. Mr. C from RBL. I mean, the, the list goes on. Yeah, but that, that's a, a big reason for why we really want to thoroughly document and preserve this history because unfortunately we're losing some of our hip hop legends. Well, Eric and Nasi, I feel like I could have talked to you all for so much longer than this, uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. I can't I can't wait for this to come out. That was Nastia Wojnowskia, associate editor of Arts and Culture for KQED, and Eric Arnold, a veteran hip-hop journalist and co-contributing editor of KQED's That's My Word. Nastia, Eric, and the whole team are going to continue their coverage of Bay Area hip-hop throughout the year. This series is also led by KQED's Pandarvis Harsha and Gabe Maline. Check out all the amazing work that they're doing on this project at bayareahiphop.com. We've also got a bunch of other links in our show notes, including where to celebrate 50 years of hip-hop right here in the Bay. This conversation was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. It was produced and scored by me. Alan Montesilio is our senior editor. The rest of our team here at KQED includes Jen Chien, the director of podcasts, Katie Spranger, our podcast operations manager. We also get audience engagement support from Cesar Saldana. Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. Peace. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs>